Welcome to UWO Now. I'm your host, Wendell Ray. UWO Now is a platform where we talk to the students, staff, and faculty at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh about relevant and interesting topics. And today, Dr. Alfonso Simpson, Jr. is our guest. Dr. Simpson is Director of African American Studies and an Associate Professor of Sociology at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. He is also the Vice President of the National Council of Black Studies. Thanks so much for coming by and talking to us today, Doc. It's good seeing you. Um, tell us about um, what you've been doing since you've been here on the campus, trying to develop and build this uh, um, curriculum into a program and a program into a department. Yeah, um, it's good to see you too, Wendell. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm, I'm always, you know, ready to talk about the development of African American studies here on the campus of um, UW Oshkosh, as well as just in the state in general. And impetus for this has been really from the very beginning. When I got here in the fall of 2019, you know, as I've been sharing, you know, it is my desire to make African American studies at UWO the leading program soon to be, I want to make it a department. So let me just say, it's, it's my intent to make it the leading department of African American studies in the state of Wisconsin. Right now, we are at a program status. Um, as for those who don't know what you're talking about, break so, that down for us. So a program is, uh, of course, a smaller unit than a department, and a program has a director. I am the director of African American Studies. Um, a department houses, um, it has faculty members, members that make up the department, and then someone such as myself would serve as the chair okay. of that department. And so um, it's right now, African American Studies is a standalone program, and UWO has a number of standalone programs. When I started, um, I had seven minors. And, you know, in order to grow into a major, because that's where you go from a minor to a major, major to a department. Um, and so in order to grow into a major, you have to recruit students. You have to have, you know, as they say, butts and seats. You sure. have to have students who want to, to you know, uh, who are attracted to the minor um, and want to matriculate in that that um, discipline so they can get that. So since the fall of 2019, to date, we are pushing 70 minors now. Okay. And 70. Sounds good to me. Is that a good number? That's a great number. Okay. That's an awesome number. And, and to be honest with you, I surmise that, you know, by the time um, the fall semester hits, we'll probably be at 80 if not 85 you know because students and, and what 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 is bringing students to you since uh, the fall of 2019 what has led to that growth in your opinion well i'd like to say it's just it's interest i mean students vote with their feet you know and they tell each other about the classes to take and it's just the interest in the what the program offers the courses that we offer we have a a curriculum that is i would say cutting edge you know it's a curriculum that is relevant um it's it's not your run-of-the-mill history and and this is nothing against you know history departments or history programs across the nation but this is specific to african-american people um you know it is an interdisciplinary academic field of study specifically tailored to the study of the sociology the psychology, the politics, and of course the history and culture of of um, African American people. So it is a truly 
interdisciplinary department. And, I mean, and, program. And, sorry. And let's say this. Um, and, and let's just address that. Mm-hmm. I know you're, you keep stating that. Um, and is that because um, there are those out there who hear African-American studies and trivialize that or don't take, take it seriously as a, as a discipline? Well, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I've run into this. See, I've been teaching African-American studies since 2000. I graduated from the University of, um, University of Wyoming and I was hired at Western Illinois University, I became a member of an African-American studies program. And within that first semester, we became an African-American studies department, you know. Um, and it was really interesting because with me were four other, you know, new faculty, and we were able to develop that curriculum and, you know, see it grow. And since that time, since I've been immersed in teaching African-American studies, that has always been the argument, not just from, you know, um, white students, you know, or non-African-American students, contrary to popular belief, African-American students as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like, why would I take this? I mean, this ain't nothing but history. I'm talking about slavery, you know, and maybe y'all talk about Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement. And it's so far from that. Well, cause that's all they've been exposed. To. Exactly. Well, that's that is a flaw in our, our American system of education. Mm-hmm. You know, and I and I can speak to that. You know, I'm not just saying that based on hearsay. I I was I'm a curriculum. My 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 doctoral degree is in curriculum instruction. You know, with an emphasis in music education as well as African American studies. And curriculum instruction, you know, simply put, is basically the art of teaching teachers how to teach. Sure. You know, and you know, draw and, and drafting curriculum and, you know, putting these things together. And, and I can honestly say I, I do know how to do that. And so it's it's interesting when I say that it's, you know, a flaw in our American system of education because I've done the student teaching, you know, at the elementary school level, the middle school level, the high school level. I've done those things and I've seen, you know, how it is passed over how it's, you know, just kind of glossed over. And it just pains me to see how the attacks, you know, of African-American studies are just really kind of entering into the political climate mm-hmm. today because it is just bigger than I ever would have imagined it being. But, you know, I, as well as my colleagues across the nation, you know, are, are prepared, are ready to defend it at all costs. And, and we're going to talk about that. Okay. Um, in a second, because that is an important milestone, I think, was about to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also what's going on nationally yeah. with regard to uh, black studies, African-American studies programs and departments and the curriculum. But let's uh, keep the focus here on UWO just for a sure. second. So you're now moving toward uh, a department status. What will it require you to get to that level? Well, you know, to be honest with you, when I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know because every every institution is different. I know what it was like, you know, at my former institution here. um, Those conversations have just been kind of sporadic. I have just been focusing on getting the numbers, making sure that students are, you know, becoming minors. But interestingly enough, I'm not just out there recruiting um, students to, to get numbers. I'm making sure that the students are vested in the program. They I. I tell them clearly, if you're not, if you don't have an interest in this, by all means, don't minor in it. Mm-hmm. But if you find yourself interested in this, you know, then maybe it's something you should really entertain. Because, 
you know, the biggest question I get from students who do come with a little apprehension is, well, what can I do with this minor? And my response is always, well, what can't you do with this minor? You see, because you're going to deal with African-American people no matter where you go. You're going to deal with the African-American population or as they say back in the 1930s, the 1940s, the Negro question. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we do this? How do we do that? And and getting a minor in African-American studies doesn't necessarily, you know, check a box to say, hey, I'm, I'm you know, culturally certified, certified and I can do, you know, all things black. That's not what it does. But it does open up a, a, wor- a new world for many of these students. And, you know, again, contrary to popular belief, a lot of the minors that we have here at UWO are not black students. And I'm so proud of that. And they are just they are immersed in the curriculum and, and they want to know. It's it's almost daily a student comes to me and say, Dr. Simpson, I did not know that. And I'm so frustrated that I'm just now getting it. I'm so frustrated that I'm just now hearing this. Why did we not learn this? Why did we not, you know, and I, and I always say, well, what did you learn about African-American studies? And everybody says pretty much the same run of the mill stuff. You know, we learned about, we learned that Africans came to the United States to do this. And that's the first, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> thing that we have to debunk, that Africans did not come to the United States. We were brought here. Our ancestors were brought. And, you know, and it's really interesting. Uh, you know, and I know I've kind of rabbit trailed a lot, but um, the students in, in my intro class just yesterday, here's a case in point. We were talking about the Revolutionary War. Okay. You know, and the African American, you know, um, the African American part that they played in the Revolutionary War, the influence, you know. And they, we were talking about people like um, Crispus Attucks. We were talking about um, Peter Salem. We were we were talking about um, oh gosh, what's his name? James Armistead. You know, and how. You know, the Continental Army from the very beginning, and I don't mean to give a history lesson here, but from the very beginning, did not allow slaves or Africans in America to join. And then even after, you know, um, General George Washington began to see that the the troops for the British side were growing because there was a proclamation issued from the governor of Virginia who said, you know, hey, they won't take you. We will. You know, uh, he was a loyalist of Great Britain, Mm -hmm. you know. And so this is this is um, the Earl of Dunmore. Uh, and so he said, we'll take you and we'll promise freedom to you, any of you who come and fight for the British. And so they rushed to enlist. Washington saw the the number of troops grow. And so then he said, well, you know what? Um, we will allow those who've proven themselves to join us. <laughs> and I was like, see, the more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> because you still got to be a qualified black person just to be amongst the common. And it just, there's so many things. And that's, kind of, that's some of the stuff that African-American studies, you know, gets into. And the students are saying, why did we not know that, you know, something that is so monumental in our formal education with history and the Revolutionary War, why do we not know about any of these people or any of these things? And I'm saying there is an entire, there is a whole world of knowledge out there for you to know about, you know, the contributions of African-American people to this society that we live in today. There was a dust-up about an advanced placement course for high school students uh, that uh, the governor of Florida talked about. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about some of those things, Dr. Simpson, and what is happening at a national level with regard to uh, African-American studies. Uh, What are you and your colleagues seeing across the nation? Well, 
to be honest with you, um, Wendell, I mean, <laughs> there there's a lot um, that's happening. I mean, of course, there is this attack, and I would say an incessant attack, meaning that it is just ongoing. It's been happening for quite some time. Um, the dismantling of African-American studies as a discipline, um, it, it, along with other disciplines that have been deemed unworthy because of, of the belief that the study of these disciplines could not lead to one, a lucrative career, per is, se. Is that the argument? That's part of it. Um, it's also a, another argument that it's, in layman's terms, it's it makes people who are non-black feel guilty. You know, that's a part of the whole argument with, with critical race theory. It makes them feel guilty. It makes them feel, you know, um, dis <laughs> displaced and, you know, so many other things that, okay, that well, are being said. Let's define critical race theory. That sure. is uh, an area that has been discussed, debated, uh, uh, and denounced by many. Yeah. But I'm not sure if everyone out there listening today knows exactly what critical race theory is. What is critical race theory? And is this something new? No, it, it's not new. Um, you know, by definition, critical race theory is an intellectual movement, and it's a framework of legal analysis um, according to which race, and that's the that's the key word there. It's culturally, it, the, the race is a culturally invented category used to oppress people of color. All right. And that two, the law and legal institutions in the United States are inherently racist insofar as they function to create and maintain social, political, and economic inequalities between white and non-white people. Systemic That's, racism. Systemic racism. That's what critical race theory is by definition. We're going to be talking more than about Harriet Tubman and Dr. Martin Luther King. We're going to talk about the effects of racism and how it's affected African-Americans in particular in this country. Yeah, exactly. And see, Wendell, the, the, the overarching theme behind this whole ordeal is fear. Fear. Okay. You know, those who are opposed to what they call critical race theory, and I say that loosely, what they call critical race theory. Um, you know, I speak a lot in analogies, and so it's it's like I'm looking at a, a a dog that has come out of the house and is walking down the street, and I call it a wolf. This is a dog, but because you have a fear of it, you call it a wolf. This is how people are, in my opinion, examining and what they're calling critical race theory. This has always been the case. It's not like it's something that just fell out of the, the sky to, to you know, um, to disunite people. It's just the truth. And, you know, it's it just, it's irritating in so my opinion. So it's not an opinion? No. Okay. No, it's it's not, well, to the people who are, who are opposed to it, it's an opinion. It's their opinion of what it is, but that it's, you know, I live this. We live this. African-American people have lived this. And when we begin to talk about it, the problem is that many people don't want, you know, such young, <laughs> innocent lives shaped by such hate. But this to me is an, uh, an issue of, you know, 
throwing a rock and hiding your hand when you live in a glass house. Mm. If you understand what I'm saying? Sure. That's what it's like. Because rocks have been thrown for so long by the people who live in glass houses. And they hide their hands and say, we didn't throw a rock. So why would you want to throw rocks back? And I know it's not, it's not, you know, a tit for tat type of thing. Like, well, you did this, so we're going to do that. That's not what critical race theory is. Critical race theory was, was developed, man, you know, back in the 70s. Developed. It, it, did you hear me say when I talked about the definition, it is a... Um, it, it, it is an intellectual movement, which loses half of the, the, the people right there. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's an, it's an intellectual movement. And, um, and, it's a, and, and it's about legal analysis. That loses a, a, another third of the half, you know. So you just have this overarching fear that I talked about is like, well, this is something that I don't know. And because I don't know it, then I'm going to reject it so and is it also that as you said it might make people feel bad it make make them not feel as good about how things have happened in this country <laughs> if i could be if i could be candid um i've heard it said by you know those who talk about it is like you know you're making you know these kids who have nothing to do with what happened historically feel guilty about the race that they're born in other words, you're making white people feel guilty for being white. And it's not about making anybody feel guilty. I say all the time in my classes when I'm talking about these types of issues, this is nobody's fault in the room. But we need to know about it because the the you know, if we don't learn about it now, we are bound to repeat it. And it is so clear that we are getting ready to repeat it because what it is is an erasure of the truth. And, you know, this is, gosh academic genocide that's what it is you know and and being that i serve as the vice president of the national council for black studies and i serve as the director of the african-american studies program here at uwo i've been the chair of african-americans of the african-american studies department at the at western illinois university i i kind of know what i'm talking about you know and it's really interesting because when we when we really look at you know how history is now being rewritten man i today just today an article came out where there have, have been textbooks in florida altered and and this is what happened today this was updated today i i i found this news article florida textbook altered to remove references to rosa parks's race now, check this out. This is an example of what critical, of what the the repudiation of critical, of what, what people are calling critical race theory is doing. It says here, and I quote, um, in the current lesson by Studies Weekly, which is used in 45,000 elementary schools, the, ev the event is described. The law said African-Americans had to give up their seats on a bus if a white person wanted to sit down. But... In an, early ver in an early version created for Florida's review by Studies Weekly, the lesson changed to she was told to move to a different seat because of the color of her skin. Well, in the group's second updated version, race is removed completely from the lesson and students are being taught she was told to move to a different seat. Period. 
So no reason why. Mm -hmm. But so so what it's doing is while they are removing race, they are also removing accountability. You know? Because it's Rosa Parks, we know everybody well, I hope, you know, most of us know that story. We know that she wasn't told to just move to a different seat. She was told to move to a different seat for a reason. And hopefully these children... And not just to a different seat, in the back. The back of the bus. Yes, right. Hopefully these children, if they are given this, will say, well, why? You know? Yeah. And if a, if a teacher goes on record to say, well, because of the color of her skin, because that's the truth, it ain't because they didn't like her hairstyle... You know, because of the color of his skin, and this is how the how it was how it was then. These teachers are are suffering consequences for teaching truth, and so they are removing it from textbooks. Now you mentioned Florida, yes, uh, and it became uh, uh, widely known that the uh, governor of Florida uh, was uh, not happy with an AP African American Studies class. Advanced placement. So we're talking about high school students. This AP African American Studies class is an interdisciplinary class, which in addition to history will span literature, political science, art, and other subjects. I'm quoting from an article from the Washington Post. And will eventually be offered to all interested U.S. high schools starting in the 2024-25 school year. So it's kind of being piloted in about 60 classrooms nationwide. And... This program, this AP African American Studies uh, course, enables students to receive credit and advanced placement in college. But Florida is not the only state uh, that is against it. Officials in Arkansas, Virginia, North Dakota, Mississippi said they had questions and plan to review. Others are deciding uh, as well whether they're going to do it. And it all is about uh, critical race theory and about um, removing, I guess, race from some textbooks as they're created for K-12 through education. That's mm -hmm. basically what we're talking about. We're, talk we're not talking necessarily at the college level, are we? No, not okay. at the college level. No, high school. High school primarily. Um, this is where the push is to get the AP African American Studies courses inserted. And, you know, after much conversation with the director of College Board, um, Dr. Kathy Brigham, I've spoken with her, and she's going to join me and my colleagues in Florida next week at the National Council for Black Studies. She and three other colleagues of hers, um, they're going to join us um, in a roundtable discussion entitled Rumor Has It, The Miseducation of AP African American Studies. And um, it's going to be really interesting because what... I mean, the answers to all of those questions and the rumors surrounding AP African-American studies and what they did or did not do, it's no, it's no, 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 and no. As a matter of fact, like here, here's some of the rumors that, was, that were spread about what AP African-American studies was doing. The question is, did the AP program change the framework to align with Florida's demands? The answer is no. They did not. Um, question is, did the AP program remove from the course any of the black writers or scholars who were in the earlier draft of the framework of the AP um, course? No. The question is, did the AP program remove contemporary topics like reparations, intersectionality, and Black Lives Matter from the course requirements for the AP um, college board, what they're, what they're proposing? 
to go into the high schools? The answer again is no. But um, amongst many people who were um, for it, you know, we were told that AP removed all of these things and basically kind of said, well, we'll do what you all want us to do to get it in. And so so what I'm saying, and I'm looking at this from a, from the other side of the table, you know, they were very meticulous when I say they, those who were against the, the AP course in College Board were very meticulous in pitting AP against those of us who are proponents of African-American studies who want to see it go forward in the in the high schools, you know, because that what is what we know builds interest in takes it on mm-hmm. over into colleges and universities. And so they're going to be there. AP College Board is going to be at the National Council of Black Studies to address this to, you know, uh, these scholars across the nation in black studies to basically say, look, we are still 100 percent for African-American studies and we have not changed a thing. As a matter of fact, they were rejected. And, and, and I think it's, it's interesting that we're going to be meeting in Florida where Governor DeSantis said AP college, AP um, high school courses, they won't be offered in African-American studies in Florida because they lack educational value. Yeah. Those are his words. So here's a definition again for those who want to hear it. Again, I kind of jacked it up. Uh, The critical race theory um, that, again, that I found on an educational website is, as Dr. Simpson said, is an academic concept that is more than 40 years old. The core idea is that race is a social construct, that it was a made-up thing, and that racism is not merely the product of individual bias or prejudice, but also something embedded in legal systems and policies across the United States. And, I, and I'm not sure if there are very many people who could argue that, right. um, that there were laws created <laughs> that were racist in um, their intent and, and purpose. Um, but there are those who are saying that we don't want to teach that. We don't want young people to learn that. Yeah. So that's basically the the opposition to CRT. Yeah, well, yes, that is the opposition to CRT. And, you know, the fact of the matter, when it was that critical race theory is important. It is important, and it is important for young minds to know, because, again, if we don't learn our history, we are bound to repeat it. And it, it critical race theory provides a more realistic understanding of white racism in the United States, simply put. And, you know, that those two words is what causes so many people to just shut down. You know, I see it happening even when I'm teaching and students take my classes and I, and I mention race and we talk about, you know, paradigm domination and those types of things. You can see the eye rolls like, oh my God, here we go again, here we go again. But it's like, we have to learn it. And People say, well, I've heard it so many times. You've heard it, but have you learned it? Do you understand how this affects the world that we live in? Not just me as an individual, not just you as an individual, but us. How this affects us. And when we look at white racism, you know, in the United States, we have to understand that it is not merely a set of negative attitudes towards other racial groups, but it is also a body of law and legal practices whose real world effect is the oppression of people of color, especially African-Americans. 
you know, and, and it takes it takes, you know, us breaking down the word oppression to really understand that. You know, what does it mean to be oppressed? Every one of us, everyone under the sound of my voice has been oppressed in one way or the other. And no one likes it. Nobody likes to be oppressed. And if you look at the root of the word oppressed, that is press. And a lot of times press entails heat. And 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 it also entails um, a lot of muscle. It, it, it a lot of weight, you know, and so when we are any of us are put under pressure, no one likes that. Some some people operate under pressure. We as black people have have learned to live under pressure. We have to. But when we begin to say this is oppressive, this is what it is. You know, going back to what critical race theory is, then people feel blamed. And that's why they don't want it to be taught in classes because, you know, simply put, kids are coming home saying, hey, mom. But couldn't couldn't any lesson be uh, someone feel bad about yeah. a lesson that they've learned? I mean, there are many things that you can learn and say, wow, I don't feel good about how that happened. I don't feel good about this or that. Yes. Um, regardless if it's about race or anything else. Well, let me. That's that's the phenomenology in it, because <laughs> we all would like for our ch- our children to come home from school feeling good about themselves. You know, we don't want our children coming home preferring. You know, <laughs> how can I say this? Preferring that. You know, I wish that wouldn't have happened that way. And why do people have to be so mean? Why were you know, my ancestors, and you rarely hear white people talk about our ancestors. They don't use that terminology, you know. They don't, it's just, it's so different. The lives that we lead and the lives that we live and the histories that we come from are remotely different. And we like to jade that in saying, well, we're Americans, and we are Americans. I'm just as American as you, and you're just as American as the person listening to this podcast but there is a difference, and the difference is all in the hyphen. You know, yeah. what does it mean to be a hyphenated American? Well, there's no difference because you're just like me. And so when you hear someone say, or when I hear someone say, you know, Alfonso, you're not, why, why do you have such a problem or why is it such an issue, you know, to be a color? You're just like me. You know, uh, I was raised not to see color. And I say, that's the first problem. Right. Because you were raised then not to see me because I want you to see my blackness. I don't have a problem with that. I know I'm black and it's okay for you to say that you're my friend and you're a black person. And if you don't see that, then you don't see the history Absolutely. behind it. Let me say this. Absolutely. In 2021, recognizing the extensive assault on critical race theory and anti-racist, anti-racist interventions in education and government, training programs, the UCLA School of Law Critical Race Studies Program launched CRT Forward, which is an initiative to address the current attacks on critical race theory, while also highlighting the past, present, and future contributions of the theory. They began tracking uh, efforts to discredit or remove critical race theory, and since 2021, when they began tracking it, 619 anti-CRT efforts were introduced at the local, state, and federal level. And so far this year, uh, according to another fact I found, 
states have introduced 137 bills seeking to restrict teaching mostly about race and gender, according to PEN America, a free speech organization. So there's a lot of effort out there to prevent teaching the things that you've been trying to build here and not getting any conflict here. But there's obviously a lot of issue with um, with this with studying African-American history in the United States. And let me let me say this. I absolutely what I love about UWO and what I love about the Fox Valley region is that there is a reception to this uh, discipline. You know, people want to know. This is what what I have, you know, come to understand in in the short time that I've been here. I mean, I'm certain that there are people who like, you know, um, skip, go to the next thing. But there are so many more people who really are interested in it. I mean, the proof is in the fact that my majors you know, I push in 70 and 50% of them are white students, you know, mm-hmm. um, if not more. Um, you would say, well, maybe that's a demographic thing, but the, it, it's still the fact of the matter is that they are here and they're learning it. And so I, I just, t- to know that, the, that there are so many states and, you know, legislations and bills that are being passed and in these states, you know, we are so going backwards. We are going so backwards and what what hurts is to see that there are people who are supporting it in 2023 you know and it's <laughs> critical race theory from its founding the theory was simply about telling a more complete story of who we are as a people what's so wrong with that you know what's so wrong with telling a more complete story it, it sounds like to me that the issue is about control of the narrative. Absolutely. That's that's what it all boils down to mm-hmm. is who gets to tell your yeah. history. Oh, my gosh. It reminds me of this quote by um, Chinua Achebe who said, until the lion gets to tell his side of the story, the hunt will always glorify the hunter. You know? Yeah. And I'm paraphrasing that, but, you know, just let that sink in until the lion gets to tell his side of the story. The hunt will always glorify the hunter, not the hunted, you know, and that's what this is about. Finally, the lion says, hey, I have a story to tell. And this is this is what happened. And, and, it, and it, of course, it's going to paint a picture of, you know, the hunter who was villainous. But if the way history has been told from its inception is that the hunted was the villain, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it's just that same thing. And, you know, we can't seem to escape that all the way up to 2023. Things are happening every day. It's not just about Black Lives Matter. It's not just about the 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 um, police brutality. It's it's about so much more. It's about the little small things. It's like the Thirteenth Amendment that's still in place. You know, it it's it goes all the way back to you know the one drop rule. It goes all the way back to those types of things. The um, black codes, Jim Crowism. You know, all of that stuff was in place. The sundown towns where in some Midwestern towns, those laws are still on the books. So those are facts yes. and those are laws, mm-hmm. uh, legal issues 
So <laughs> uh, I don't think anybody disputing that that, that ever happened. So uh, there is an argument, though, that we shouldn't teach that. Yeah, okay. see. So what is your colleague saying about this across, as I mentioned, all those different states, all those different pieces of legislation or letters to governors or statements by attorneys general uh, or education directors in various states across the United States condemning CRT uh, and other things related to black, black studies. What are you and your co colleagues, and you are vice president of the National Council of Black Studies, tell us what are you and your colleagues talking about uh, when, we, when we're um, about this particular subject? Well, we are really now focusing our energies collectively to meet in Gainesville, Florida next week um, to commemorate the centennial of the Rosewood Massacre, which I'm certain a lot of people don't know about, um, that happened there in the town of Rosewood, which was an all-black, you know, a town 50 miles outside of Gainesville. Um, and I would encourage everyone to just go get the movie, mm -hmm. you know, because there was it was a, a phenomenal depiction of Rosewood and what, what actually happened. But it happened in 1923. And it just so happens that in 2023, the National Council of Black Studies, we are convening in Gainesville. Now, it's really interesting that this happened. And so I like to say that this was both divinely and strategically um, done. We were invited, This Nas the National Council of Black Studies was invited to come to the state of Florida. We were invited to the campus of the University of Florida to um, to hold this conference and they served as they serve as institutional host. You know, um, they put that, you know, on the table two years ago to say, hey, in 2023, we'd like to host your conference here at the University of Florida. And so here we are next week, waited there. But before all this AP, oh, African American Studies even yeah. came to So be. we're not going as a result of this. It just so happens that this has happened and, and hey, we were already on our way. Okay. You know, so it's going to be a really interesting um, time because there are a lot of, well, everyone knows that we're going there. Everybody in Florida knows and all the whole political climate is, you know, they are, they are waiting for us, I would say. Um, okay. I don't have a doubt in my mind that anything is, you know, is going to happen because we are, uh, we are a, a group of academics. And when I say a group, I'm talking about a, a board of 24 scholars from across the nation, of which I am one of those board members. And, you know, to that, we have a body of, you know, over 4,000 members, you know, undergraduate, graduate, and professional you know, staff members and, and, and students who are coming in. This is, you know, not just something we threw together. This is our 47th annual conference that we're having. And um, it's interesting because the theme of the, the, the conference is reparations, resilience, and restorative justice, commemorating the centennial of the Rosewood Massacre of 1923. And what my colleagues and I, um, what we're doing uh, are the conversations that we're having is that you know we are we are considering the um, amplified social and political climate that we are experiencing as a discipline, and um, you know I believe, like I said earlier, that we've been divinely and um, strategically positioned to aggressively contribute a counter narrative to the incessant assault 
against African-American studies through um, throughout various institutions of learning right here in America. You know, you see, there's been a legacy of great scholars who have all skillfully added to the American ideology of the black experience. And many of them will be in Gainesville this weekend. I'm talking about Dr. Malefi Asante. I'm talking about Dr. Milana mm. Karenga. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm talking about Dr. Valerie Grimm, who is the president of NCBS. Dr. Amilcar Shabazz, who is, you know, the director of the W.B. Du Bois Center um, at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. And, you know, and the list goes on and on and on with so many young up-and-coming scholars to which, you know, um, the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh has six undergraduate students who are going. Now, let me say this about going to the conference. You don't just go to the conference. You have to submit an abstract of your research and it gets blind reviewed. And then if your, if your abstract is good enough, then you are contacted and and told congratulations. Your abstract has been accepted to for presentation. So everybody that submits an abstract does not get selected Okay. To go, and so I am elated that we have six students wow. from UW Oshkosh, undergraduate students, minors in African American studies, who will be traveling to um, to Gainesville with myself and Dr. Danae Powell, um, who's a, a, an assistant professor in African American studies here at UW Oshkosh. We're gonna uh, go down with them, and um, Dr. Michelle Cool from the history department has submitted an abstract and she too will be going. It's really interesting because it's not just undergraduate students, but graduate students and professors across the nation. That's great. Who all have an interest in African-American studies. They submit their abstracts. And so me being, um, you know, as tied to NCBS as I am, I'm privy to a little information that others don't have, you know, so far, but we have four, four days of concurrent sessions that are going to be happening from nine in the morning to six in the evening, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, mm, you okay. know, and these conversations are, are going to be, and, and some of them are hybrid, some of them are fully um, virtual, but most of them are in person. So I mean, I'm super excited. The students are stoked about it because they're going to not, they're not going down to present together. They are presenting with undergraduates and graduate students that they've never met before. These panels were put together based on likeness of their their abstract submissions. Okay. So if you submitted a panel on the history of African American music, you know, and you would go down, you could possibly sit on a panel with someone from you know UCLA, someone from the Ohio State University, and someone from the University of Florida. And here you are, University of Wisconsin Oshkosh, and you all are presenting your information. You know, it's just, it's a phenomenal time. And that's a great achievement for those six students to be traveling down there. So, And and congratulations to you and Dr. Powell for putting together uh, this group of students who get an experience. I'm sure that they'll never forget. Never forget. They won't. I mean, I know they won't because it's just, um, it's something... It's something to be able to to say, I wish as an undergraduate, I could have put on my resume that I had presented at a national conference, but they get a chance to say, I presented at a national conference. I got a chance to sit right beside Dr. Malefi Asante. You know, mm-hmm. last time um, we met in person, we were in Atlanta. Um, the year before we were in Louisiana because the conference is in different cities every year. We were in Louisiana and we had um, Danny Glover, 
who was in attendance, Sonia Sanchez, mm. who was in attendance. You know, we got a chance to hear from them. You know, sages in the department, sages in the discipline of African-American studies. You know, and so, yes, these students are super excited and looking forward to meeting people that they've read about. Well, congratulations to you, Doc, Thank and you. to all those students. And uh, thanks so much for coming by and talking to us today and helping to enlighten us about what uh, critical race theory is and about what's happening across the nation and what's going to be happening in Florida. We look forward to talking to you more about it in the future. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Okay. That's all the time we're going to have here today. Remember to catch the latest episode of UWO Now. Yeah. In order to do that, you can go to our website, wrc.org. And, of course, podcasting platforms like Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google. And you can also watch the UWO YouTube page for this episode as well as past episodes. I'm Wendell Ray. Thanks so much for listening. Mm -hmm.